Well, here we are, guys. Episode four of the Archive Jazz podcast. My name's Christopher Peck. I'm joined today by Mr. Jeff Lean. How's it going, Jeff? It's going just great. Nice, nice. And Mr. Tom Everett, how, how are you today, Tom? Very well, thank you. Wicked, wicked. So we've got a great episode for you today. We've got a couple of fantastic recording artists that phoned in for interviews today. First up was Kiana Lynell. Her debut album, A Little Love, is available on Concord Records now. Just released, so it's hot off the press. So it was a real treat to talk to her. And the second interview that we have today is with Mr. Kendrick Scott. And his Blue Note Records release, A Wall Becomes a Bridge, is now available at archivejazz.com. So be sure to check out that release and stick around for the interviews. So with the festival season getting underway, I thought it'd be fitting to talk about uh, mine and Tom's experience at Big Ears Festival in Knoxville, Tennessee. Tom, how, how many years have you been to Big Ears this now? This is just the second for me. Cool. And, uh, I was a little better prepared this year because last year I got very excited when I saw the list of events, which are all over uh, the city of Knoxville in certain key theaters and outdoors and museums. It's all over, which is great when you look at the schedule. It's incredible then you realize you can only be in one place at one time yeah absolutely and then you have to start prioritizing and then working out a route and what you can do and people you really want to see and yeah um hundred concerts in four days yeah it's wow. pretty impressive That's a lot everywhere from uh beautifully restored uh kind of a three-tiered tiffany jewel box theater to uh the Tennessee Theater, right on the main drag, which is a gorgeously restored 1920s or 30s movie palace in an Egyptian mode. And then a couple of warehouse spaces, museums. Um, was that a cathedral? Uh, cathedral. One of the shows you saw, there's right? a couple churches involved. Um, and then a big stage and kind of a shed across the, a, little, a little ways distance. And then some smaller venues. And there's just music everywhere you want. You look, and you, when you look at the schedule, you're thrilled. And then when you realize what you have to give up to see A and not B, then you're yeah, that's a it gets a little reality. It gets a <laughs> real reality check, and you really have to prioritize who you really want to see. Absolutely. And and Knoxville is just the perfect spot for a festival like that with so many venues in, in close proximity. You can walk and and stumble into you know one gig after the next, you know and um, a lot of great little dive bars that I know Tom was in and out of. So well, that's not unusual. But there was music at this. <laughs> these, um, in particular, uh, really wonderful events, which I'll get to in a minute. And yeah. ECM, being the featured label, had uh, kind of dominance over the big, um, the big picture. There were quite a few ECM performances, more than you can really see. Not only that, there was even like a silent movie with uh, called Dragnet Girl, which they had live music under. Uh, black and white silent film by the director Ozu. Um, anyway, anything from that? There's a there was a premiere of a movie about a guitar maker who is in um, uh, Greenwich Village, which was hmm. wonderful to watch, and just all sorts of things going on. So to see one is to miss another, but you really have to prioritize. Absolutely, yeah. There was uh, you know, like you said, so much going on. One of the cool things that that we saw was actually a a 12-hour drone concert. How many hours were you there? So we were only there about about an hour, hour and a half. But essentially the idea is that there was a continuous drone on one single note 
the whole night. And what artists wow. would do is it would be would come in and they would improvise over the note and add things to the to the layers and to the kind of the whole the whole experience and there was some really cool visuals and it was funny people were in there setting up their sleeping bags and <laughs> and uh getting blankets out and pillows and kind of just spacing out the whole time but it was absolutely an experience that you know I, I enjoyed you know very much so it was cool you ever been to knoxville jeff no, my uh, nephew is actually going to University of Tennessee. Okay, okay. So, no, I gotta, I still got to go out there, and there's a lot of really great people out in Knoxville, including Donald Brown, who is uh, Blakey's pianist, and uh, his son as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a cool cool scene, actually. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to get you out there next time. What were some of your favorite acts well, that you saw there? for one thing, um, there was uh, ECM artist Evan Parker, who is one of the great British avant-garde musicians of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, never really had a big career in the U.S., but he was kind of a legend in, in Europe. And uh, he played one piece called Transmat, Transmap with Matt Wright and Martin Youssef and um, some other folks, which was in the, the beautiful Restored Theater. But then there's so much going on. The next night... Um, I went down to a really small place that's just a little beer bar, essentially. I wouldn't call it a dive, but it was brightly painted, and they had a small stage. When I say small, I mean with two people on it, you can't see the back of the stage. (laughs) And they were about two (laughs) feet off the ground, and the place was packed. And one of them was the great Evan Parker on a folding chair playing his baritone or his tenor sax. He's the master of circular breathing. I mean, he just forces the air to – it never stops. He forces – it's a technique – um, that he's perfected over the years where as you you can breathe in, but your mouth is closed off and you're still blowing air out, and then you just kind of circular breathe, and you get incredibly sustained tones. And there was this young guy next to him with a bass clarinet improvising, and they were just playing. And in this little dive bar with hanging lights and little tchotchkes all around, absolutely packed to the grill, there's one of the greatest progressive sax players alive today having a ball he just looked like he was the one place in the world he was really wanted to be he was hmm. really really enjoying himself and that's a real highlight when you see somebody like that in a place like that i um, wonder if anyone recorded that i don't know you know maybe kind of need to hear yeah, yeah absolutely it was uh, it was very intense and really good he was really excited another highlight was um the art ensemble of chicago which was which we may, if, if a lot of listeners may know, was a very progressive Chicago-based AACM band based in Chicago all through the 60s. Members have come and gone. Most of the original members are gone. When I saw that they were having a tribute to AACM, I thought, who's left? Well, there's a handful left, but there's 25 new players, relatively new. Some have been with the organization for a while, some relatively newer, mm-hmm. just playing big band, free music, um, They'd, they'd kind of knew where they were going, and then there were different people would stand up and conduct and bring out different sounds, and that was truly exciting yeah. for an organization that, for me, growing up in the 60s and 70s and buying their the AACM records plus all the individual records by, like, Lester Bowie and others, mm-hmm. to see this exist with a bunch of young people really playing their hearts out, that was pretty inspirational. Yeah, that's, that's such a huge scene in Chicago, that whole free jazz kind of hang um there's a couple of clubs out there hungry brain and and all those the empty bottle and they they do 
tons of that kind of stuff. It's it's wild. really kind of the last bastion of that. Yeah, Ken Vandermark. You don't even one. get that kind of stuff. I don't know of an organization like that in New York. Yeah, right. Yeah, and one of the other main takeaways that I had was just this lack of genre throughout the whole thing. No one was in a box as far as you are. This is it's this type of music. It's that type of music. It was all about the art, and that was the focus. It wasn't on any one particular, you know, style or brand of of music. It was very diverse, and it made makes it for a really cool experience for the listener to be able to hear, you know, a string quartet on one end of the street, walk up the street, and you're hearing, you know, Bill Frizzell or David Torn wail away on the guitar. Right. And then, you know, you walk up the street again, you're hearing, you know, Leo Smith or any of those other artists that were there it was it was fantastic yes peaceful open vibe it sounds like yeah absolutely and also and it's not all cutting edge jazz i mean the great guitarist and songwriter richard thompson was there uh, who i've had bought his records for many years since way before you guys were born never saw him live and he came out with a small orchestra and um did a new piece called k-i-l killed in action which was considering Essentially, World War One veterans who were killed in action, and how that what that res- response was, and the orchestra, the strings mainly behind him, and um, then the second half was him just singing some Richard Thompson songs, which were really quite moving. And he's incredibly talented guitarist and songwriter. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, another one that I saw that was really great. Another another ECM artist was Matthias Eich. And he is from Norway, and mm-hmm. his latest album is is on the sale page that we assembled for our Big Ears highlights. And so we've got about ten albums on sale on the site right now. Um, and that that latest release from him is called Ravensburg. And I mean, it's got kind of that. It's on the freer side, but it was he put on a fantastic show, and yeah. you know, another highlight for me. So another one was uh, the tremendous. Uh, contemporary chorus room full of teeth mm-hmm. who played at uh, the art museum which was kind of in the side of the museum which is glass on top glass on the sides and this wonderful wordless singing that was just pinging and bouncing around and then blending in this room and all of a sudden the band just looked up and or the chorus looked up and somebody said look at that and there was a total perfect rainbow arcing Wow. Right outside the window, it's like, who, <laughs> who cued that? Right at the end of their set, it was pretty amazing. Everybody just kind of stepped back and laughed and wow. enjoyed it. Really cool stuff. So, like we said, there's a list on archivejazz.com. It's got all these releases um, from some of these artists that we've mentioned today, and uh, so go over to the site and check that out. And so, with that, let's kind of transition to talking a little bit about. Kiana Lionel and her her brand new album, which is coming out today, April 5th, and that's on Concord Records, and that's called A Little Love. Fantastic singer. Debut record produced by Brian Bacchus. Uh, The band is Cyrus Chestnut, George DeLancey, Ed Cherry on guitar, Jameson Ross, Monty Croft on vibes. She's she's won competitions across the globe. She's been Mm -hmm. around a bit. Uh, but just has a wonderful, substantial, real voice that gets across. Absolutely, gets that, gets gets the words across and the and the feeling across. Yeah, she was the winner of the 2017 Sarah Vaughan International Jazz Vocal Competition, so uh, she got her recording contract 
from that. And yeah, it's it's quite the debut, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about Brian Bacchus, the producer on that record. How'd you get to know him? I've known Brian since he came on at A&R Director at Blue Note Records quite a few years ago. And he's done, I believe, a couple of both of Solomon, uh, Solomon Fortner's the pian- the pianist records. I know did one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just one of the better producers around. He's a great music guy, uh, really knows his stuff, and uh, made a very good record. Yeah, and, you know, another thing that with, with both of the interviews that we've got today, a really powerful message behind both releases, and um, you'll hear Kiana talk a little bit about that. And, um, yeah, it's it's a great record, so go out and check it out. We're going to have links on the podcast page um, to that album, so be sure and check those out. But let's go ahead and cut to our interview with Kiana Lionel. Well, congratulations on an amazing record. Thank you. Brian had mentioned, I've known Brian Bacchus for many years. You were, uh, you were put in very good hands, I must say. And, I, I feel the same exact way. <laughs> and, and an amazing band. But um, as far as I can say, it's one of the best of the year for jazz singing. It's really extraordinary. Um, oh, I thank you. Ooh. I just want, want to ask, how did you get hooked up with Mr. Blanchard? Well, through, through our managers. Like our manager mutually, you know, put us together. I just recently formed a relationship with Terrence. He's, I mean, if I had to chronalize one of the later musicians in New Orleans that I have, have worked with, um, and that was that's it. Only started because I started working with the same uh, management group that he's with. Mm-hmm. But it's it's been phenomenal, you know, to get feedback from him on my shows, on things that I'm working. He's always asking me what I'm working on. You know, he just keeps the iron to the fire, should I say. It's, it's great. Well, it sounds like it's somebody, something that you need this day and age to keep on top of everything going on. Yes, yes. I mean, it's, jazz has always been to me like an apprenticeship, you know. Mm-hmm. People joining the older musicians' bands and learning on the bandstand, that's the way that it's traditionally been done and that's the best way, you know? And um, so it's just continuing that legacy of, of having to, um, a mentor help you out. Right, speaking of, of such, uh, the band you put together is really one of the best I've heard recently with Cyrus Chestnut on piano and Rhodes. Um, Ed Cherry, who is a very, I think, um, underappreciated guitarist. Under, yes, yes, yes. And yes. George Ed, Delancey. Ed right on bass mm-hmm. and, and, and Monty Croft, a, boy, a name I haven't seen in a while. Right, right. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely say Brian was, was integral in pulling the cats out, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially as me not having a, a big footprint in New York, you know, like I, I just brought Jameson. I was like, if Jameson comes with me, <laughs> Jameson's like my big brother in the industry also. And he just brings a sense of peace wherever he is. Like he's just, he's almost like a Buddha, you know, he just makes the, the room feel good. And, and it was, it was just amazing to have him with me. Well, and did you go in with a pretty much strong idea of your song list or did that kind of work out with Brian as you were putting together the recording? Brian and I bounced ideas back and forth. I had some, like, Come Sunday, and I wish I knew how I feel to be free. That's something I have been doing in my show for probably the past year and a half, almost two years now. 
we, we bounced ideas a lot. We sent playlists back and forth, YouTube links, you know, until we got to a point where we were like, okay, I think this is it. And I think we actually went in with maybe 14 or 15 songs, and that was the, the 10 that made it. Well, Ellington going into Nina Simone is uh, was, as we said, inspirational, and it really comes off. And to follow that with They All Laughed, which is really an unusual tune for somebody of this generation <laughs> thing. Right, right. Well, you know, and for me and Jameson to do it, you know, and for both of us to be competition winners and, and even just aspiring to do this business this day and age, you know, it's like you have to be kind of crazy, but you have to go against all the naysayers and keep doing it, you know, so... And, and it speaks to me as a, as a non-traditional person. I'm, I'm a little older than most of the, the new coming people on the scene. And I didn't study jazz in school. And, and a lot of, I used to, I taught full-time. And when I left my teaching full-time job, there were lots of people like, oh my God, Kiana, what are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm a mom, I have two kids, I'm a single mom. And they were like, you, I don't know, you shouldn't, you may want to wait, you know, but I, I just have to go keep working toward my goals. I think waiting is often best and also waiting to to sing songs with lyrics like in a lot of the tunes that you sing on here um, are not it's not for kids um, so to speak the, these are these are lyrics that mean something and you really really dig into the tunes on all of them yeah that was very important to me to be able to relate to the songs because I mean I'm ultimately going to be singing these live for the next 18 months possibly you know mm -hmm. so I need to be able to connect with these lyrics they need to be able to resonate with the current audience you know I didn't just want to do tunes that were American standard songbook tunes that couldn't resonate with the current times so that was very important to me to be able to address current social issues current romantic themes you know um relationships, self-goals, that's, that's how I feel like the record relates on a, on a, on the love level and every part of love that we, that we face in, in life. Well, I think that's important because as, as you said, you're going to have to live with these songs for a while and, uh, <laughs> and you're, you're building a foundation for the future as you add, as you record more, which I'm sure you're going to. Were you a fan of Carmen McRae and Nina Simone and some of the classic singers? Did you spend time? Listening I to that. Nina, yes, yes. That Just a Little Lovin' um, that has been one of my favorite songs for a long time. And it almost didn't bring it up. To, I don't know, it was like a later edition in our back and forth. And um, Nina, I mean, is inspirational. All the, I mean, I, I just get lost in her recordings all the and time. So. You also note uh, Carmen McRae as another one, and that's... That's very true too. She has a style that almost no one can, no one sounds no like. No one can, yeah, yeah. It's, it's phenomenal to, to really dig in and to hear how her phrasing, you know, I, I just, the jazz musicians and phrasing is, 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 a, is a skill that I'm, I'm just, that's what I study the most, I will say, is she just leans on those changes. Like, is she gonna make it? You know, like, is she really <laughs> right. gonna hit that phrase? before the change happens, and she does, you know, she, she does. Um, well, one thing, one thing yeah. about her was it often sounded like she was discovering a song whenever she sang it. Right, every time. Every time was like a new experience. I yeah. think that's, that's the only way professionals can really keep going, is to find 
find something exactly. new every every exactly. time you look and, at it. And, it. and it shows her depth of knowledge into in musicianship, you know, like you can't just make that up. You have to know what's happening underneath and around you to be able to, to finesse a song the way she did, you know, ultimately soloing while she's developing that melody. Yes, and as as they did, you as you build your career and this this record goes forward, I have a feeling you're going to be singing a lot of the repertoire on this disc for quite a while. Yes, yes, I love it. <laughs> we, we, I'm very intimate with those songs, and I'm I'm excited to get to work. And question: How much rehearsal time with a band like this? Once you guys can kind of find the resonance between all of you, how much rehearsal time did it take to put something like this? So this was this was my first experience like this. I we sent the charts, I think like maybe two weeks ahead of time to all the cats. And then we went to New York. We had a, a day of rehearsal, a full day of rehearsal. And then we were in the studio for three days and that was it. Like we would run through the songs a few times and maybe come back to it um later but i mean the caliber of musicians that these guys are it was just it was it was pretty magical the way the yeah. things came together yeah it feels it feels that way it feels like you've you've been working with this band for years and every lyric comes across as if as if you're just kind of oh, thinking definitely they made it i was very comfortable i mean i wasn't there was no doubt in the capability of the of the guys that were you know holding me up um, and then their spirits were all so like I, I'm I'm very lucky I feel that that everyone that has been around me in this last year has had just this this giving infectious spirit you know to sit and watch Cyrus conjure up this idea you know to to be able to sit and watch Jameson ponder like is that it like maybe we should try it let me try something else you know like. And, and Ed and George were just just soaking it all up. Like they, it, it was just a team of people there to help create what, what we have. And it, 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 it was magical. It's not only thing I can think to describe it. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations. It's a tremendous piece of work and you are gonna get a lot of attention for this. And uh, I think you'll probably be very busy as, as this uh, gets released and you start to get in demand across the country. Any uh, plans to take this to Europe? Uh, we are actually planning uh, at the Bremen Jazz Ahead Festival at the end of the month. Um, that's, so that's it helps to get some more European dates. I have really, really enjoyed, I've been like an evangelist telling everybody in the office to listen to this. Oh, record. God. So, thank um, you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate talking to you and thank you very much for the um, pleasure of having getting to know this disc it's really quite wonderful pleasure is mine. I, really, I really thank you for the words this morning you've lifted my spirits <laughs> <laughs> well may your spirits be high all day so anyway congratulations on a on a triumph of a recording thank you thank you so much well thanks Guiana for being on the show it's a marvelous disc and we are very happy to let the world know about it it was a real treat to speak with her, and um, we'll be on the lookout for more things from her down the line here, eh, Tom? Oh, absolutely. And look out for her live. I think she's got some dates lined up. Yes, up absolutely. Absolutely. So now let's talk a little bit about uh, Kendrick Scott and his brand new Blue Note Records release, A Wall Becomes Bridge. Now, t now Jeff, 
I understand you got a little bit of a background with with Kendrick, so why don't you yeah. let us know how you kind of met him. Since 1997, I've been aware of Kendrick. Kendrick uh, came from Houston along with a number of other amazing musicians, and particularly the drummers. Well, um, don't forget piano players. And piano players. I mean, Jason Moran. For I know, one. yeah. Eric Harlan. I mean, you know, just tons and tons of wonderful artists have come out of the Houston School of Performing and Visual Arts. And a lot of them made their way over to Berkeley. And that's where I first met Kendrick. But I heard Kendrick uh, in 1997. I was at Interlochen Arts Academy in uh, Michigan. And one of my friends, uh, Patrick Cornelius, who we're actually going to interview on the show soon enough for one of his releases, you know, I was playing with him, with him in a trio at the camp, and uh, he said, "Man, you got to hear this drummer out of Houston, man. He's this is you know he gave me like the the high school all state you know jazz band record uh, or tape, and so I you know ended up hearing it, and I was like, man, I can't believe somebody my age can play that well. And so you know, fast forward a little bit, I ended up at uh, at Berkeley also with Patrick, and uh, Kendrick was there. And we basically started at the same time, graduated at the same time. You know, he was just heads and shoulders above everybody. And he was kind of a pace car, but really more like an indie car, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to chase after him. But, I mean, I went to every one of his recitals. And, you know, he had – it's like he had all the technical stuff already finished, you know. And he was working on his sound as an artist, really. And, you know, if you hear him play, what's unique about him and always stands out to me is just the way he his touch on the cymbals – um, everybody has their thing, but I don't know. I haven't met anybody that's that's produced a sound quite like that. You know, there's some very unique cymbal players out there. You know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Bill Stewart has this sort of sticky sound on the cymbal that he achieves, but Kendrick has this wash, and it's it's similar to Brian Blade, but different. And he's a he's just a very special. You know, I don't know. He it feels like he's from another world sometimes. So anyway, you know, I've known I've known him since uh, that time. I've I've oftentimes asked him if I can do a transcription with him uh, for Downbeat because I always, I love many of his solos. And every time he says, man, there's so many living legends still, you know, do do Roy Haynes. <laughs> you know, that that would be, you know, much better than doing me right now. I'm just like very humble and very uh, cool dude. Well, was he not in Terrence Blanchard's group? He was in Terrence. That was the gig he got. Well, actually, he got the Crusaders gig, like uh-huh. literally as we're graduating. I think they, he got the wow. call like walking up. <laughs> it was either that or it was the it was the Blanchard one. But anyway, uh, yeah, he got Terrence Blanchard right after that, and he you know he really developed from that to really have that you know heavy gig. And that was an amazing band, Aaron Parks and piano. Yeah, oh yeah. man, that, that they was, launched a lot of careers. It did. Yeah, so like a launching pad. Yeah, which is a beautiful thing too. You know, and you know, I'm always on this podcast talking about our Blakey, but Terrence uh-huh. is a is a alumnus right of Blakey and. He's he's one of those guys that's not shied away from bringing up some of the youth, you know, and he did that. He just you know, and I, from what I understand, he's he gave a lot of great mentorship to Kendrick and all the rest of them. Yeah, um, with all that. Yeah, I was like looking at the pictures of like young Terrence Blanchard in, oh, yeah. in with the messengers and and and, and all those guys. It's, yeah, it's neat to see. It's neat to see that evolution. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, in this interview, you know, if you ever talk to Kendrick, and you're going to hear him right now. He's not a surface level guy. He's immediately yes. deep, and so you can try talking surface level, but he's going to take you some other, <laughs> some other place. And that's you know, you can tell that in his playing. You can tell that in his personality. Um, it's just the way he is, you know. Yeah. So anyway, but this album was uh, produced by Derek Hodge, um, and it features Joe Sanders, Taylor Gitzy, 
Mike Moreno and John Ellis. Uh, and, you know, it's masterful. It's just, it's, it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a very big release. Ellis is a, another underrated player. Yeah. Very yeah. much so. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, all these guys are just monsters. Yeah. And, so. Tom, were you around when Kendrick was, you know, just starting to be involved? I was around when Terrence was signed to Blue Note. Okay. And uh, there was Aaron Parks on piano and just a whole bunch of uh, people that were coming through Terrence's band at that time. And uh, you never, whenever you saw somebody new, you know that they were, it was somebody that was going to be playing at the highest level. Absolutely. From the get-go. There yeah. you go. <laughs> right. There you yeah. go. Well, without further ado, let's cut now to our, our second interview of the episode with Kendrick Scott. You've got a lot to talk about because this is a tremendous project with a great band. And uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the, the mantra, I guess, surrounding A Wall Becomes a Bridge is pretty much optimism. You know, for me... Uh, looking at the things that are happening socially, I think as much chaos as it is, it's actually, you know, what we're seeing, I think we're thinking of them as walls, as bad things, but I think they're actually those walls of provocations for us to, to make them bridges. And so when I think of the current state in the U.S. with everything that's going on, you know, I'm just trying to think a little bit more optimistic about things. And hopefully this heightened awareness and this heightened dialogue that we're going through around all these different issues will hopefully bring us to an area of unity, even within our disagreements. Uh, we can find some common ground. Finding that tipping point where uh, a wall can become a bridge is like one of the things that kind of started this project for me internally too because i have my own walls of fear and insecurity and things uh which i think sometimes i think sometimes the voices can help you know i think sometimes the voices are, are guiding you in a way where it's just like oh okay you know let's be cautious about this this might not work or this you know let's stay away from this but let's go for this and sometimes if you're not at that tipping point where you have that balancing point sometimes the the negative voices can override um, everything that you're trying to do. And so this project is, is kind of about that, you know, socially and um, personally for me. So what, you know, Derek Hodge came in and he said, you know what, we got to make some, we got to make some music about that, about being in that place where, you know, your voices are talking to you and they tell you you're not good enough and they're comparing you to other people and they're doing all those type of things. So, you know, we wanted to look at the process of a wall becoming a bridge, not only from it being a wall and then all of a sudden you break it down and it's this beautiful bridge. But if you listen to the record, the record actually plays in reverse. So the first thing that you hear, oh, it's called New Eyes. Mm -hmm. And New Eyes is about perspective because that's after the wall is broken down. And then you go to the motion, which is... Um, the breakthrough when the wall actually breaks down. So if you look at the arrows and how the um, the tracks are written, the arrows actually get smaller and smaller all the way down to the last track, which is mm -hmm. Archangel. I was going to so ask you about that. Yeah, that's a, a great bit of typography. Just you're, you're obviously getting a signal across with that. Right. And, uh, and within that, you know, trying to see, 
trying to approach, uh, like I was saying, uh, approaching things with optimism, seeing that, you know, if we're starting the record at the end of the process, you know, when I was brought up in church, you said they always used to tell me, like, pray like you've already gone through the storm and it's done. Just thank God just from the beginning. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what that is. You know, it's like we're in the storm now and we can rejoice already because we've already we already know what's going to happen. We already know we're going to come through this. If we just start at the other end, if we start at the end where the wall has become a bridge, then we can look at everything with a different perspective of optimism. And um, so some of the, like the first track perspectives actually plays forward and backwards. So the sound, the sonics that you're hearing are us playing forward, but we also took the whole track and played it backwards. And then it comes in and out. Mm-hmm. And then some of the other tracks you'll hear will be playing backwards as well while I'm playing forward on them. So, you know, it, it has a whole perspective thing about the uh, the record that I wanted to embody. And the, the intent behind that, you know, it's, it's all uh, personal and social. You know, for me, each member of the band, the way we play together and the way we create together, everybody takes ownership of it and uh Derek Hodge is a great leader in capturing how we uh, relate to each other and um you know each player took an element of what I brought in and expanded on it in a way that I never thought we could do you know so I mean that's definitely a wall to come to the bridge for me as I thought my ideas were silly and terrible and everything and then all of a sudden I give it to them and the seed they plant the seed in a way that I've never would have thought of planting the seed. And I think that's the beauty. And I think that's the bridge between um, our humanity when we reach out to each other and say, what do you think about this? And then we get to discuss it and work on it versus, you know, the introverted me saying, this isn't good enough. This isn't this, this isn't that in comparison rather than bringing it um, out and, and letting it blossom and be what it is. So that's kind of, that's that is what the record is about you know yeah well also with uh you're working with a group of people you're very comfortable with it seems and uh yeah we've been together for some time now. that'll that allows you a certain amount of freedom to get out get out on the high board and see what happens and how long did it take you to to actually write the material kendrick i've been writing and not writing for years yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those things where, again, I'll get up in the morning, I'll write something, and I'll literally say it's not good enough, and I'll stop writing it. Uh, I know and that the works. next day, I'll start something else. Yeah. I'll start something else and say, oh, that's not good enough. Yeah. And, you know, I'll get, I'll get done 17 bars and say, oh, that's not worth anything. And so a lot of this, you know, a lot of the session was me bringing in some of those sketches. Some of them were full songs, and some of them were sketches. Mm-hmm. In which Derek was like, you know what, we have to, we have to break through this wall that you that you have, and just it's going to become a bridge if you bring these things and open yourself up to everybody else interpreting the intent of what you want to happen with the music, and then we can act on that. So actually, in the studio, we had a chalkboard, and I, we were writing out the sentiments for each song. So like I said, new eyes was perspectives. 
emotion was breakthrough. And then each, so each song had a sentiment. And as we wrote those sentiments down, we were finishing the songs that I was writing in the studio Mm -hmm. compared to the sentiments. So one of the sentiments was acceptance. And so what does that sound like? You see what I mean? So Uh we were actually in a total um, mind state of, of intent, even in, even in the writing in the moment, which is kind of, you know, that's really scary. Like you said, that was a risk with, with my brothers. It was, it was one of the most beautiful things that could have happened. Well, it comes out as being incredibly well-formed. You, you guys did a lot of great sculpting. Also, you've got Joe Sanders on bass, Mike Moreno on guitar, and a man who I used to know who played with Charlie Hunter, I believe, John Ellis. Yes, sir. Who's an amazing, amazing reed player, and you give him plenty of space on this disc to move. You worked with him for a while. Yeah, I I worked with John. John was one of the first people to give me a job when I came to New York City, and we used to play at um, the Knitting Factory. Whoa! And we used to have these in the tap in the tap room, Mm -hmm. the, the little bar in the bottom. And I just remember playing with John and, you know, he had faith in me before I even thought about having faith in myself sometimes. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we've been playing together forever. Me and Mike Moreno have been playing together since high school. Uh, me and Taylor for about 13 years. And same with Joe, I believe, about 13 years. And so, yeah, we have long-standing relationships in which we've all been playing together in other people's bands, have experienced each other in in different settings and for some reason you know when we all got together something magical happened with the sound and uh you know i i really attribute that also to derek hodge because derek hodge was playing bass in the band uh before that and then derek actually saw us play a show because derek lived in la at the time and derek saw us play a show and i got joe to play and it was on the Smalls live feed. And Derek watched the live feed and he heard Joe play. And he said, you know what? Joe is the sound of the band. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, you're going to record on the record, right? He's like, no, I want Joe to play because Joe is the sound of the band and I want to produce. And ever since then, at the past three records, Derek has been producing. And, you know, that's my secret weapon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the sound of the band. And, you know, he gives just the amount just the right amount of direction and freedom for everybody to be themselves. And that's what I love about the ownership of this band. You know, Taylor is the engine. Joe, I always call him the renegade because he knows how to take something that you give him and turn it on his head in a way that you didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. And he knows how to take things away from you to make you appreciate the things that are there. And uh, Mike always allows us to have a certain sonic space and a bed that we can lay on. Like his sound is really integral to the sound of the band. And um, John, in all of his read knowledge on each of the instruments that he plays, he brings this huge balance of um, of, of soulfulness and, and, and intellect in each in how he works on each of those instruments. So I, I just love every one of these guys. How did you get hooked up with, is it Jahi Sundance? Yeah, I got hooked up with Jahi through through Glasper. Mm-hmm. And uh, I that guess I had surprising. seen Jahi before. Yeah, before, you know, before he, 
he was working with Glasser. I guess I'd seen him because, you know, he's Gene Lake's brother. But, you know, once he started working with Rob, I kind of started seeing how his voice in particular was important to the sound because of the way he uses the electronics and the mm -hmm. way he uses his voice on the electronics, which I think is very singular, is that he uses his voice around the band and in the band setting instead of the band being on top of what he does, mm -hmm. which is completely hard to do, right? You know, you know, in other ways you can put on a put on a click or turn on the record and just let the band play on top of it. Right. What Jahi does is all inside of the group, inside of <laughs> of what's happening and responding in the moment, which is kind of hard for, you know, to do really hard to do actually to be in the moment and play the right things you know so that's what we're trying to do mm -hmm. on our instruments and he's the same you know and i felt there was a kindred spirit there so when derek suggested that you know jahi could make statements around what was happening as soon as we added that it made everything uh, coalesce it's interesting to hear you talk about the whole thing because i feel like you know, having having known you for a while, and you're playing certainly at Berkeley and, and whatnot, to, to just about everybody I know, and me, myself included, just seemed like you transcended the instrument. And it wasn't so much that it was the drums, it was just kind of like, you know, I don't even know how to describe it exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I can hear that on this record too. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Oh, it's, thank you so much. It's a journey and experience that begins, has a middle part, and ends. It really holds together well. I've listened to it at least four, so four or five times, and it's... Uh, Quite wonderful. So, Kendrick, how do you think you know since Tan since let's let's say Terrence Blanchard since that time to now? How do you feel like you've you've kind of grown artistically or uh, you know refined what you were going for you know within your own plane? I'm growing in contentment of of who I am as a person. I guess I think uh, you know Wayne Shorter has one of the best quotes, and I you know. Wayne Short is a huge idol of Terrence's, and he's a huge idol of mine. And, uh, you know, Wayne told me, no, he didn't tell me, but he said that, that music is but a drop of water in the ocean of life. Mm -hmm. And the more I think about that, this is like one of my idols that I think music is everything to him. And he's saying, but it's just this small little thing that we're trying to embody ourselves and our world into. And the more and more I think about that, the more and more I realize that music isn't about music. I become a better human being. And I think that also makes me a better player. And yeah. so uh, I think that's really been one of the best things about, uh, you know, getting older and kind of having perspective and looking at things in a different way. I think I've grown as a band leader in that way and as, and as a drummer and as a composer in some ways, just the, the level of surrender that that takes also. You know, I think this album is specifically a thing of surrender where I had to literally <laughs> surrender because to me that wall was there and I was just gonna keep it there, you know? Right. And I had to surrender and say, you know what? This, let's take this snapshot. And, you know, you talk about Terrence and he's a huge influence on my because he told me a long time ago when I was doing my first record, he said, you have to do this first record because you have to take that snapshot of yourself uh -huh. and you'll never be this age again. You'll never, you know, be at this time again. And what happens is once you take that first Polaroid, 
you look back at it and you say, man, my hair was out of place. I <laughs> slept in two days and I looked good. Right? <laughs> what was I wearing? Oh my exactly. God, I can't believe I was wearing that. Right, right. And then you, the next day you want to you wanna put on something else fresh. You want to put on something else new. And that's what making records is about is capturing a moment in time and then it, it makes you want to capture the next moment if you are really capturing the times that means you're moving forward and your body of work you know at the end of your life will be something to look back on and as i look at terrence's body of work i'm just so inspired and that's you know when i look at all of my favorite artists that's what it's about so that's all i'm trying to do now is you know stay stay keep a balanced head <laughs> to yeah. where you know that uh to where i can do that are you planning on on touring the album a little bit or what's your what's your plan with all that yes yes we have some dates now wow i guess we got boston chicago um yes we got boston chicago um where else do we have we noticed nashville was not on the list but we all take it personally yeah, we'll get you down here. Nashville, yeah. <laughs> I need to I need to make that happen. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been down there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, so I do want to ask Baltimore. you one quick question. That cover is absolutely stunning. Um, did you come up with our finds? Is that an artist you knew or? Yeah, so Yashua Kloss is an artist in Brooklyn, and he does amazing work, and I, I licensed the um the image because I fell in love with it when I when I was uh when I discovered it from Jason Moran. Mm -hmm. And Jason Moran, you know, led me to Yashua's work and I said, you know what, we have to do something together. And we didn't go as far as we wanted to go because I wanted him to do so so many other things, but just the image alone of the cover I think was is stunning enough to where it's it's great. So, yeah. you know, I, I encourage everybody to check out Yashua's work, Yashua Kloss. And, we'll, spread, um, we'll spread the word. Yeah. It's really a, it's kind of a jaw dropper. It really, really works. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, th yeah. thank, thank you so much. We appreciate you taking the time. And well, I appreciate you guys. All right. Take it easy. Right. We'll All see right, you. So thank you so much, Kendrick, for for uh, doing the interview with us. Um, really looking forward to this release. He has some dates coming up. If you go to his website, uh, you can see him touring this album. Uh, but it's a great pleasure, and we're very lucky to get to talk to him. Absolutely. I think that just about does it for today's episode, guys. Let's go listen to some sides. Like we mentioned earlier in the show, we've got the Big Ears highlight picks. Those are available right now. And both of the artists that we interviewed in today's episode have brand new recordings out. Again, Kiana Lionel and her brand new Concord Records release, A Little Love, that's available on archivejazz.com. And from Blue Note Records, Kendrick Scott and A Wall Becomes a Bridge. Not two releases that you want to miss, say, eh, fellas? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. For sure. And so for the next time on the Archive Jazz Podcast, we're going to be talking live albums, eh, guys? Yeah, that's right. There's, so, there's too many. Yeah. We're going to narrow it down to the top five for both Tom and I. Yeah, absolutely. So stay tuned. We've got some other big announcements as far as guests coming on the show. So keep an eye out for some, for some news about those. And as always, follow the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We are now available on those two platforms. So 
click click the follow button and and be on the lookout for some new content coming your way and follow us on facebook instagram and twitter for all the latest updates and and news about recordings and other things yeah i think that just about does it guys we'll catch you guys on the next episode of the archive jazz podcast thanks for listening i'm christopher peck i'm jeff lean i'm tom everett signing off